Dearly beloved of God, at the heart of the ruins of Imperial Rome stands a fountain on the Capitoline Hill with two bronzed lions from the mouths of which were made to flow on high feast days wine for the citizens of the city to fill their amphoras for feasting. The Romans called this bread and circuses. It was the way the empire was governed, and many other empires since then were governed, by seeking to placate increasingly restive populations by satisfying them with bread and curiosities. The problem with these is that they only work so long. They do not satisfy man's deepest longings. Like a shipwrecked sailor swallowing seawater, this does not slake his thirst at all, but only augments it. And this is not at all the, ch- the approach taken by the church, not bread and circuses. It doesn't mean that the church is altogether unconcerned with her flock's material well-being. The poor, says the Lord, you will always have with you. But it remains an enduring scandal to Christians. It's not that the church lacks a solid social doctrine theory. She does, indeed, where the church's social teaching, say, on the universal destination of goods, were this better implemented, the world would know considerably less incongruency between the haves and the have-nots than it does today. And the cardinal sins of greed and avarice are certainly to be combated always with virtue, with greater charity and with greater economic solidarity from Christians, if only as St. Peter assures us, because charity covers a multitude of sins. However, this is not what this Sunday's readings are all about. When Jesus leaves the boat, having crossed over to the other shore, he looks with pity upon the multitude, for they seemed to him to be like sheep without a shepherd. Christ's first concern is the ingathering of the flock into one, into communion with him, who is their good shepherd. That is why the evangelist takes the trouble of remembering for us that there were 12 baskets of fragments remaining, signifying by this reference to the 12 tribes of the people of God, prefiguring the church by which Christ's chosen people, his elect, are to be constituted one tribe under the governance of 12 apostles. It is we ourselves today in Nebraska in 2018 who still feed on those fragments. There was much grass in that place, we are told, and he made them sit down to pasture because he makes himself a pastor to this flock. And his credentials are all the more impeccable because he, in the first place, is the one who sat down with the hungry, having become man and experiencing in his own condition hunger and all human needs, all the exigencies of our human need. Unfortunately, there is no shortage of scriptural scholars 
who in principle resist any supernatural explanation of events such as we see in the multiplication of the loaves in our first reading and in the gospel to which it points. Instead, they venture to suggest that the moral of the story is if we would only share what each of us already had, the one with the other, there would be sufficient for all. A kind of a socialist solution to the question of man's hunger, his poverty, and unequal access to resources. But this is to ignore Christ's outright refusal in the closing words of our gospel today to permit that his intervention in history be reduced to some or other sort of secular do-goodery. As the episode with Elisha in our first reading, which prefigures today's gospel as it suggests, we should never undermine or underestimate or gainsay the Lord's great providence towards us, his inexhaustible providence. The question Christ in our gospel puts to Philip which the evangelist pointedly observes was to test his confidence in divine providence. During our weekday mass cycle on the life of Moses, the patriarch is met with grumbling against divine providence in the desert, where after leading his people safely out of slavery to the evil king, dry shod through the Red Sea, He causes them to be fed on bread from heaven. Still they grumble. That, and even this multiplication of loaves in today's first reading, serve to prophesy the real feeding of the whole person which can take place only in Christ, only in the Eucharist, which, as St. Paul points out in our second reading, is the cause by which the many become one, just as the many grains make one loaf. God truly provides the only alimentation for which the whole man truly yearns, our daily bread. He gives us himself. And thus, and through no other philanthropic substitute, or sociological panacea is the means by which we become one flesh, one flock, one body, one hope for unity in the bond of Christ, who is our peace. Amen.